0: Welcome to Living Downstream, the environmental justice podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mencher. This time, uranium, a toxic legacy at Redwater Pond Road. For the Navajo people... Mother Earth is sacred. She places her mineral riches below ground. That's where they're meant to stay. If the Earth's elements are hauled up to the surface, Navajos believe they can turn monstrous, or they can unleash the monsters in humankind. Uranium mining produces radionuclides and other toxic wastes full of heavy metals. Transformed for weaponry and fuel, uranium can affect human genes, according to the Journal of Environmental Radioactivity. To get at uranium deep underground requires scouring the earth with chemicals to extract the ore. What's left are soils that blow contaminants through the air as dust and wastewater that seeps deep into underground aquifers and pollutes groundwater. The residents of Redwater Pond Road community in New Mexico have lived with uranium mining contamination for 50 years. They're sick of the mess and tired of being in a state of toxic limbo that the uranium industry bequeathed when it packed up and left. Producer Ellen Berkovich made several trips to Redwater Pond Road to visit this community, and she brings us the story.
1: After swipes of rust and yellow pigment on rock formations that jut hundreds of feet skyward, the sun is hot. Streams race down dry washes in summer after the rains. Peterson Bell has lived here his entire life.
2: Now, this is a it is a wonderful place to be. Here. For me, this is my childhood. I'm a big clique around. I always tell these kids, these younger kids, the whole place is my My playground, that's what I always say. They would look at me. Really?
1: But the distance between beauty and devastation is short. Some of the features in this picture postcard scenery are actually man-made, like a new lumpy mountain shaped out of a pile of uranium mine tailings. The short grasses growing on top look acid-washed, with a neon color of Mountain Dew soda pop, Bertha Nez lives 300 feet from this dusty hill. For the last 10 years, she's been hearing promises, promises about when the piles of waste will be moved from her backyard.
3: They've been saying it'll be cleaned by 2016, but we're still waiting to see when all this is going to be cleaned up.
1: The land that Bertha and her extended family live on looks vast, but this piece of Navajo Nation is actually a checkerboard It's interwoven with parcels that belong to the state of New Mexico or the U.S. government. The land, both north and south of Redwater Pond Road community, is polluted by two abandoned uranium mines and a mill where the largest radioactive waste accident in U.S. history happened nearly 40 years ago. Bertha has seen the dust blowing off the contaminated piles and wonders what cleanup actually means.
3: By the time they get to the real... uh, waste tailing that's packed down over on the side after they move all that stuff I think they're just going to recontaminate the whole
1: place again Teresita Kiana goes by Terry for short she's 36 she was born and raised in the hamlet of Redwater Pond Road but she doesn't get out here as often as she'd like to anymore we're standing at the doorway of Peterson Bell's house. This is the house that I grew
3: up in. This is my uh, grandmother, my late uh, Nolly's homestead, uh, Catherine Duncan. And it's right across from a real beautiful mesa. And when I was a kid, I used to go up this mesa and exercise, I guess. Um, to the top?
1: Yeah, all the way to the top. Terry moved with her husband and four kids to the city of Gallup in 2017. Peterson Bell's lived alone in this house ever since. Gallup's 23 miles east of here, but it's a world apart.
2: My name is Peterson Bell. I live at Redwater Pond Road, 31A.
1: The community of Redwater Pond Road is really one extended family. Everybody seems to be an auntie or an uncle, related to everybody else by birth or marriage. Terry's auntie, Edith, is Aunt Bertha's cousin. Uncle Peterson is Aunt Jackie's brother.
4: I'm um, birth of Nance.
3: I've been living here ever since I was born. I'm 72 years old.
4: My name is Edith Hood. I am from the Redwater Pond community, 12 miles north of Church Rock, which is east of Gallup, in the state of New Mexico. <laughs> Edith
1: was six when she was sent to Navajo boarding school, but she always came back home. Edith invites us in.
4: The door is squeaky with all that WD-40 I keep putting in. Right there is the Chichit meaning the Rat Point Mesa. That's what it means, Chichit Uh.
1: Edith's living room wall is painted blue, and it's hung with old black and white photographs.
4: These are some of the pictures we have of an old clapboard house that we all lived in. And that's my grandmother standing at the doorway. And we're sitting all in a row on the side. And
1: this picture at the bottom with the black dress, the smallest, that's me. They tended goats and sheep up and down the steep mesas and canyons. You know those, uh,
3: the Mexican Coke bottles? My grandmother would save those whenever we had a Mexican Coke. And we would buy nipples from the, um, the livestock sale place. And she would just make them milk from evaporated milk and feed them every day. It was neat growing up as a kid with my grandmother and <laughs> learning about the
1: sheep like that. Traditionally, everyone in the family lived near each other, but in separated groups. Growing up, we had uh, little camps. They call it camps,
4: but they're all like so many families within that camp. And as of today, we have like eight different camps in that little area. And from there, they have
1: you know their children, their grandchildren, and the whole slew of them. The ancestors are buried on the land. As we go outside, Terry points to an area of sacred ground. You see the little fenced off area? Uh Uh-huh. That's a,
3: a burial ground.
4: As children are born, you know, they remove the umbilical cord, and usually they bury it at the horse corral or the sheep corral in the thought that they come back home to where they came from.
1: Back at Peterson's house, Hi Peterson. Hello, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? Okay. Peterson's house has a Navajo wall calendar and a wooden clock that occupies pride of place in this simple room. He sits on his bed beside the window, reminiscing about how Redwater Pond Road changed radically when he was about seventeen.
2: One day, uh we just up and do our stuff and herd sheet, and then all of a sudden these people come in, um, with all big trucks, and then they would drill down, I guess, to look for uranium, you know.
1: Uranium mining had started on Navajo Nation in the 1950s, but the heyday at Redwater Pond Road and nearby Pipeline Road was the 1970s to 80s. UNC, United Nuclear Corp., sunk the shaft for Northeast Church Rock Mine in 1968. Kerr-McGee Corporation ran what's now called Quivira Mine from 1972 to 1982. And in 1977, UNC opened a mill, too, to process the raw uranium ore it was mining across the street. We'll come back to this mill later on. The mines brought big changes, including jobs.
4: I worked as a probe technician for the miner, and then I worked for the long hole probe technicians.
2: 1974, that's when I started working when I graduated from Gila High.
4: The
1: mining operations kicked up a ruckus.
4: The big machinery, that shaft going up and down, and of course, it's just as noisy underground also. And I was, I think I was in very good shape because we used to walk long ways, climb the, up to the slopes, do our thing, and carrying that big stuff on our back.
2: And then you've got your self-rescue right here in the back. And you say, this can save you for an hour, and you just pop it open. and. For an hour? What the heck?
1: The self-rescue was a personal oxygen device designed to help a miner trapped in a fire to survive. One of Peterson's jobs was as elevator man, delivering the miners 1,600 feet underground. The mines operated round the clock, and the work shifts did too.
2: Nothing to it. It was just like everyday life, and you just go over there and go to work,
1: you know. Uranium mining was the first time that many Navajo men got paid cash wages in the U.S. economy.
2: Back then, uh, the the, the mine was doing pretty good. Uh, We used to make money there, about $900 every two weeks. So every one of these people will have a new truck, you know.
1: No one talked about worker safety. Managers would pin the workers' uniforms with dosimeters, which lit up red when they got exposed to too much radiation.
2: And they said, don't talk about it, just do your job, or you're going to get fired.
1: Environmental safety practices were also non-existent. Pulling off to a flat patch of ground was as good a place as any to dump the tailings in the wastewater.
2: You know where the road is? Uh, all that sand on top of this uh, Kermegee, it's been building up, and it's about like uh, like a mountain now.
4: All that dirt you see there is, you know, brought up from underground, but it passed as ore, uranium ore. They call it tailings or waste.
2: And at the time when they were shipping that ore, taking out the ore, all they did was dump it there. We just spilled out like a milk sheet, you know. Everything will be in the muds about, about two feet deep and then walking around with the rubber boots, and that's all we did.
1: Terry's taking me on a tour. She was a little girl of just four or five when her grandmother worked at the mines, but Terry could see where they were working from the doorstep. It was just a few hundred yards away. Today, the road dead ends at barbed wire fencing. When I look back to my childhood,
3: I played in these areas because there was no fence, and nobody said, don't be over there on that side because it's dangerous. Nobody said that to me. And so I'm, I'm hoping that I don't have cancer when I get older, but you know, it's something that I think about now. It kind of gets to me.
1: The Northeast Church Rock Mine and Mill are super fun priority sites today. And the EPA is planning to create a permanent repository. The idea is to relocate 33,000 tons of uranium mine wastes to the top of an existing tailings pile. Slow down. This
3: here, right here, is another pile of waste. And this is another place that I used to play and just beyond this fence and maybe about... I say about 10 yards or so. There was a concrete area there and it had shower tiles. And my uncle told me that that was a place where they showered. We pull off the road to have a look. I used to like to bounce my basketball there. Now there are signs in English and in Navajo. Badzit do a naa ah which basically means. Danger, uh, nobody goes in here.
1: So, this is a pile right here, Terry?
3: Yeah. Yep, yeah, just you're protected because of that fence. <laughs>
1: oh After
3: having to deal with this for years, you kind of just develop this sick type of sense of humor.
1: <laughs> Exposure to underground mining and above ground mine wastes was bad enough on its own, but it got worse. Remember in 1977, UNC had opened a mill right across the street from the mine to process the ore it was mining. But just two years after that mill opened, a breach in the unlined dam caused the largest radioactive spill in U.S. history. That was July 1979.
3: I don't know how you get millions of gallons of waste (laughs) and then put it
1: here. So
3: we just call it the tailings pile.
1: The dam breach released 1,100 tons of tailings and 94 million gallons of wastewater, all of it radioactive into the Rio Puerco.
3: This area by the dam is one of the places where they put all the tailings uh, of the spill, whatever they were able to grab, I guess.
1: Chris Shuey has been monitoring uranium impacts at Southwest Research Information Center in Albuquerque for 25 years.
2: Half of the impoundment is built on bedrock, which is sandstone, and uh, the acidic wastewater eats the sandstone away and contributes to uh, seepage.
5: My name is Paul Robinson, I'm research director at Southwest Research and Information Center.
1: Paul Robinson got to work at Schrick in 1976. He showed up a few days after the dam broke with his camera to document it.
5: The dam had a crack that was 30 feet wide. The liquids poured through that crack and spread down the Rio Perco to Arizona. And
2: Keep in mind the fluid that's coming out, even though from the air it looks nice and blue, it has a, a pH of battery acid. If you or your animals waded into that river in the hours and days after the tailing spill while that fluid
0: was still there, you got burned.
1: Navajo sheep herders still use this land to graze and water their animals, and they'd sometimes have to wade into the water after their livestock, which drank the water.
2: During that period, in the early 80s, I must have talked to four different elderly women who had burns on their legs. They were really never part of any kind of health study. They weren't followed.
1: Single largest ever release of radioactive material in U.S. history, No study ever by government or any nonprofit agency on how it affected the health of the area's people and animals. And consider the sheer volume of pollution. This whole area, if you look at it,
3: it's about maybe, I'm thinking about six football fields.
1: Peterson figures that wearing the dog tag was the bare minimum of safety measures. When your dosimeter turned red, you'd be reassigned above ground for a couple weeks and many of the redwater pond road residents who worked as miners have already shown up sick
4: after working in the mines i i think that's where i would have gotten the the bad thing i got i was diagnosed with lymphoma back in 2006 it just happens today i go back for a checkup
1: and peterson's mom died of fibrosis
2: you put a x-ray on her and she had a clouded diaphragm right here in uh Lungs area. And he said, this needs to clear up before she can get better, but she never did get better.
1: Peterson's health is also failing. On cold days like this, he feels awful.
2: You get older. It really gets to you. My eyes. Everything. It hurts so much.
1: The extended family of Redwater Pond Road community is surrounded by nearly 2 million cubic yards of mine wastes. But they're too small a population size on their own to make up a health impact study group. However, uranium-related health problems were found in 72% of 1,000 New Mexico miners who started working after 1971. These miners and millers have shown increased rates of kidney disease and lung, bronchial, and stomach cancers. Other studies show a correlation between uranium and increased risks of hypertension and autoimmune diseases. Navajo babies being born today have uranium in their urine. And several studies under the auspices of the Diné project are ongoing to assess whether the uranium and heavy metals exposures are causing developmental delays in these children. Terry spent two of her pregnancies off the reservation and those kids were born healthy. But with my son, during
3: that, that pregnancy, I was mostly home in Redwater Pond. And when my son was born, he uh, had a heart murmur.
1: Livestock were born deformed, too.
2: We had a little, little uh, baby, a goat, that was born uh, all with no hair on. And when it only lasted about 30 minutes, it died.
1: Peterson's sheep herd has dwindled from 40 to just two today. He hikes up to their pen to feed them morning and evening. See, you hear them?
2: They don't know you, and uh, they're afraid. That's the reason why they make that whistle sound. <laughs> now we got a hay in there. I just tossed a little bit of hay for them. See that the older one is leading. back over. Come on, come on, sweet. I talked to them and I, they understand you.
1: When the EPA discovered the extent of the pollution, they had to begin what they call time-sensitive soil removals. And they began moving the members of Redwater Pond Road community to motels in Gallup. Peterson wasn't happy about that.
2: Being at the motel is not a good thing.
1: What would happen to your sheep?
2: At the time, I had about 30, I think. They told me, you can stay in Gala and we'll take care of your sheep. I said, no way, you're not going to do that to me. You're going to stress on the sheep. They don't know you. So I get to come back over here every day for that whole two or three months at a time. You know.
1: Terry decided she had to make her children's safety her top priority
3: living out there since birth. I I decided that we needed to get out of there. Through the EPA we um, got this home. But she's had some culture shock. I think it's just mostly because I've never lived in town and I'm constantly locking the door at home in Redwater Pond. It was something that I didn't have to do, but here in Gallup that's something that I've had to get used to, and sometimes my kids have trouble getting used to
1: it. But the impact goes deeper than culture shock, to the very heart of who she is as a Navajo.
3: We have just like a little memorial dedicated mostly for our grandmothers who raised us. They were both weavers, so that's why they both have rugs on each side. And my grandmother had sheep, and so I put a sheep up there.
1: Terry worries about Peterson being out at Redwater Pond Road by himself. It's been a big change for him, too.
3: Yeah,
2: I kind of missed him on, you know, when he got my TV and my radio and something to read, you know. And that's about it. That's what keeps me company for now, so.
1: Contending with abandoned uranium mines and mills is a complex bureaucratic and regulatory process. Even when there is a so-called responsible party, that responsible party is usually a successor company. For example, General Electric, GE, is the successor to UNC. So now GE is responsible to pay cleanup costs for the Northeast Church Rock mine and mill sites. 2019 will mark the 40th anniversary of the radioactive spill there. Mines and mills were, and still are, often located in remote and impoverished areas like Navajo Nation, where the people do not have political and economic clout. They couldn't stop the mining companies from polluting, and then they couldn't get the resulting pollution removed. Compare this to what's happened in other communities, richer, whiter communities. For example... In Moab, Utah, the U.S. Department of Energy is in the process of moving 16 million tons of uranium mine tailings to a permanent disposal site 32 miles away. Shrick's Paul Robinson calls the difference in treatment environmental racism and he's been watching what's happening on Navajo Nation closely.
5: The idea of moving a million tons of contaminated mine waste and putting it on top of a tailings pile that already is a Superfund site that had a leaky dam, that's unprecedented. NRC's never seen an application like this, there's never been one created.
1: terry has been a citizen member of the committee designing the repository. She remains wary as well. The community is
3: concerned about how the tailings pile is not lined. They constantly tell us that it is lined and the new, the new waste will be lined as well. So. It's, it's kind of just like if you want to believe the government, then go ahead and believe the government.
1: The community came together to put pressure on the U.S. EPA. They meet in person once a month. Peterson's going through a stack of three-ring binders on his bed, each dedicated to various aspects of the cleanup. He's worried for practical reasons.
2: If you delay more of this action of cleaning up me, I don't have enough time for that. You know, I'm getting old every day, you know, every year.
1: Meanwhile, meeting attendance has gotten thinner. As EPA offers housing options down in Gallup, more and more Terry's generation are saying yes and not coming back home anymore.
5: The community is fractured by EPA's dividing each family and uh Uh, Dealing with uh, each of the families as individuals rather than allowing a community solution to be uh, conceived. The breaking up of a community is uh, damaging from a social and cultural standpoint in addition to these problems of exposure.
1: Increasingly, Redwater Pond Road seems like a community without a country. The Navajo Nation government's seen a nearly $600 million settlement That's to treat about a fifth of the 523 abandoned uranium mines and mills inside its boundaries. But nobody knows whether community input will decide any of the uses of that money. The EPA's next step is to file the repository plans with the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. But how long it's going to take the NRC to give the go-ahead is also unknown. I asked Chris Shuey if he anticipates more delays. So 2020 may be optimistic.
2: It's wholly unrealistic.
1: The community is particularly frustrated because they'd actually proposed a solution, moving the entire community intact up to their ancestors' traditional summer camp, a place called Standing Black Tree Mesa. Katie, I'll pick you up in a few minutes. He said he's ready. It's a warm March morning, and we're going on a road trip up a steep dirt track to get there. I haven't been up here this way in a while. We ride with Annie Benali. This is where
3: we used to come up and herd sheep, maybe four or five hundred heads, goats and sheep. That's where we wanted to move to Black Tree Mesa. We're trying to
1: hold on to it as long as we can. Many community members spent their childhoods here, herding sheep and goats on the high ground that made for good pasture Edith's driving her truck with Peterson and her sister, Jean, perched on the tailgate. That's what I used to do
2: when I was young. Get in the back, you better, better be holding on to something because you're going to fall off. That's what we did one time.
1: There's an abandoned log house that was Annie's mother's and a hogan that belongs to Bertha. The landscape holds the key to Navajo traditional practices and beliefs. You can see for miles
4: from this bridge... And you sometimes you see the Hesperus Mountains, Colorado. And then of course you can see this way. Where they say the Navajo's came from.
1: But they see the changes too. Oh, oh
2: man. Didn't have a road up there.
1: We drive down to where the community has its annual summer picnic.
4: I love those pine trees. The kids love and they miss coming up here. Can we go to the picnic ground?
2: God, You used to have tables
1: right here. Somebody took your tables?
2: Yeah, and benches. Oh, man.
1: They're shocked to see the summer furniture's been stolen. Yet it's obvious they feel joy to be up here together.
2: We used to get together and eat here, and then have fun all day long and baseball here and the horseshoe there and volleyball and stuff like that.
1: But neither the EPA nor its Navajo Nation counterparts is going to help them build a new community here on land that stayed clean because no mining was ever done here. The EPA says subsidizing it isn't an option because there's no water and power. But a close look at the rugged, rocky landscape shows old power lines strung up steep, steep slopes from when the mining companies came exploring but didn't Uh, find what they wanted.
2: I guess we're going back down? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. They always tell you that uh, when when you're a little boy and you says, you're going to hurt sheep and you're going to bury your building court over here in a corral, say that's where you're going to be all the time.
1: The umbilical cords that are buried in the sheep corrals link those who are born here and draw them home again if they wander. Terry wonders if she'll ever be able to come back home for good. Having so little influence over either the industry that despoiled their land or the government that allowed it to happen is frustrating. But Terry and Edith have found a way to channel frustration into action.
4: Okay, well, this is back in 2016, I believe, that we traveled to Washington, D.C., to talk to the Special Rapporteur, and we also again talked to the Human Rights Network back in December, and we talked about a lot of things, you know, water, the environment, and our rights as human
1: beings to have
4: a clean environment.
1: They've testified before international commissions with residents of other poor communities, like the citizens of Flint, Michigan, about the right to clean water. Edith says that hearing some New Mexico politicians push for renewed mining activity is hard to swallow.
4: He was pointing to the word uranium. Now, when nation uses this, and I just let him have his say, but then I said, "I don't need it because I live in the middle of these uranium mines, and I want it cleaned up." I told him.
1: You become an activist through all this. Did you ever anticipate <laughs> that that was going to happen?
3: No, but I don't. I don't actually consider myself an activist mostly an advocate. I've been an advocate for my kids for 16 years. Why not just turn that over and, you know, be an
1: advocate for my community? Terry and Edith are striving for their community to be heard on a global scale.
3: Diamond has to go back inside the garage so she can eat
1: and drink water. Their advocacy or activism hasn't solved their local problem, though. Either the permission to move to Standing Black Tree Mesa or permanent off-site waste storage that could guarantee their future on their land. There's no solution right now for Redwater Pond Road community. What they do know is that this land is sacred.
2: We were here. Seven generation was here. So that's uh, the reason why we come back over here, you know. It's part of our land, you know, now. That's the reason why we hold on to it, this place. I don't care if it's a wasteland. To me, it's something special.
1: But Peterson's jovial mood after Standing Black Tree Mesa has persisted as we hike up to the sheep.
2: You know, my grandfather used to be a joker. My mom was a joker, too, and and every one of us are like that, too. <laughs> we joke a lot, and then... To keep going, you know. And then I'll undo this. Now this is the, this is where I keep my hay inside here. Yep, and uh, this is my chair right here. Every morning I sit here, every evening I sit here, and sometimes I, I pray yeah.
1: Where's the sheep corral that the umbilical cords get buried in?
2: I'm not gonna tell you where that is. You <laughs> might come over here and steal them. <laughs> you know, when you bury like you bury these uh, umbilical cords, they will become dust again. It's a full circle. Uh you born here and then you you come to be a old man, then you come back and then you finally you turn to dust again. So it's a full circle.
1: For Living Downstream, I'm Ellen Berkovich.
0: Uranium, a toxic legacy at Redwater Pond Road, was reported and produced by Ellen Berkovich. Story editing by Claire Schoen, who also mixed this program. Music this episode by Gordon Ark, Ausensider, Martine Debor, Analog by Nature, Stefan Kartenberg, and Death Convention Singers. That's all courtesy of ccmixter.org under a Creative Commons license. Full music credits can be found on our website. The Living Downstream theme music was written by David Schulman. Thanks to Autumn Chacon, Hannah Colton, Paul Ingalls, and KUNM. Engineering support from Anthony Garcia. I'm your host and senior producer, Steve Mencher. Darren Lachelle is the executive producer, and the president and CEO of Northern California Public Media is Nancy Dobbs. Subscribe to Living Downstream wherever you get your podcasts. Visit our website at norcalpublicmedia.org slash living. And if you see environmental injustice in your community, write to us at living at norcalpublicmedia.org. Living Downstream thanks our sponsors who make this podcast possible. A list is available at norcalpublicmedia.org. See you next time on Living Downstream.